Let's go ahead and uh, read our passage for today. If we can all stand up for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says these words. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, um, that there's great truth in this word, and that you are seeking to um, uh, teach us something today. You're seeking to mold us and change us into something today. So God, I pray as we come to your scripture, God, that we would do so humbly, not trying to make the word say what we want it to say, but rather we mold ourselves to your word and what it says. And so God, um, may that be true today. May our ears and our words be pleasing to you today as we dig into your word. God's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, uh, we are officially in the holiday season. Last week was Halloween, and usually when Halloween is over, that's when we kind of start, you know, thinking, okay, holidays are here, Thanksgiving's coming up, um, Christmas is coming up, and uh, most of you parents right now are asking your children a very simple question, and that is, what do you want for Christmas? And that's a dangerous question to ask. Uh, I have a uh, just about two-year-old daughter, and so she hasn't quite gotten to where she can tell me what she wants. But I have learned that there are some gifts that you give to your children, and you immediately regret giving that gift to your child. Do y'all have those? My mom, uh, when I was 13 years old, for Christmas, gave me a drum set. She immediately regretted that decision. <laughs> Uh, we were um, in our household, you know, uh, we would open presents on Christmas Day whenever we got up. And so me and my brother and sister uh, would normally, uh, you know, get up about, you know, four or five in the morning. You know, however early we can get, you know, mom up. And uh, we go in there and sure enough, there's a drum set in there. So about four or five o'clock in the morning that Christmas Day, there were some drums being played. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we're coming up on Christmas, and yeah, start asking your kids, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And uh, if you don't know this, this sparks a very interesting journey in a child's mind from that moment forward. Uh, they start dreaming about for weeks what toys they want and what toys they're going to get for Christmas and how they're going to play with those toys when they do get them for Christmas. And then Christmas comes, they get the toy, they're fantastic, on high, playing with their toys. And then what happens a week or two later? They're done. They're done with it. They're bored. They're already on to the next thing. Like I remember when I was younger, I had a PlayStation 2, and that kind of dates me. Uh, I had a PlayStation 2, which is a video game system, and my mom asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I wanted video games. That's it, video games. So I wake up on Christmas morning, and there were a dozen PlayStation 2 video games waiting for me, 
And uh, man, I spent the next week playing all those games. And about a week or two later, I was done. I was already looking for whatever the next thing was. And this would happen year after year after year after year. I dream about what I want. I get what I want. I'm bored with what I want. And then it happens year after year. And what it started to teach me and what it started to reveal to me is that there is a discontentment inside of me that, that always wants things. And whenever it gets those things, it's never satisfied with those things. It revealed to me that there's something inside me that has a hard time being content with what I have. And so what I want to talk about today is this idea of contentment and the idea of this inner longing for things that are inside of us. And I think this is an appropriate time because as we move into the Thanksgiving and the Christmas season, this is supposed to be a season of gratitude, a season of, of remembering uh, Christ uh, coming down in the form of man, remembering the gospel. And what it's kind of shaped itself into is not that, but a season of want and a season of longing for things. And do, do y'all find it like very ironic that Thanksgiving Day, like it's supposed to be a day where we gather together and we celebrate and thank or be thankful for the things that we have in our life. And then midnight is Black Friday where we go buy a bunch of stuff. Has anyone ever noticed the irony in that? This season has turned into a season of want. And so as we enter into the season, I want to talk about this topic of contentment. And I want to dig into this passage from Philippians and pull out what God has to say about contentment. And this passage, like I mentioned earlier, has the famous verse that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I hate to ruin your favorite verse by putting it into context, but uh, this verse is not talking about you achieving all your goals. This verse is not talking about you can go conquer anything that you want to because you have the strength of Christ within you. This verse is not talking about life's going to be great for you. I went into a Christian university, and I will not say the, the university's name to spare them, but I went into their sports facility, and uh, as soon as you walk into their sports facility, there's the weight room, and there's some words above the weight room that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm like, I don't think that's what that verse is talking about. <laughs> I don't think Paul was thinking, hey, when you get into that weight room, you remember Christ is strengthening you up. No, <laughs> that's not what that verse is about. That verse has a much more profound, much deeper meaning to it. And I want to dig into today what that is about. So we're going to talk about contentment. And we're going to dig into today's passage. I want to uh, point out to you three things that contentment isn't and three things that contentment is. Three things that contentment isn't and three things that contentment is. And in doing so, maybe we can start to develop this spiritual discipline of contentment in our own lives. All right, so let's get back into our passage, Philippians 4. We're going to start back in verse 11. Uh, just a little bit of context for you. Um, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and uh, Paul uh, has had a long relation with the church of Philippi, and there was uh, a time that they couldn't provide needs for him, but this was a time that they could. And so Paul um, said, hey, I got what you sent me, and I'm super glad that you sent it to me, but 
here's, here's a, a, a paragraph on why I don't need this. And then he gets into his thoughts about contentment. And so that's kind of a little bit of setting the stage of what this passage is. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 11 says this, I, Paul, don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, I've read this verse dozens of times in my life, and over this past week, um, one word just popped out at me that I never noticed before, and that word is learned. Y'all notice that? I have learned to be content. Paul is saying that he had to learn contentment. And if he had to learn contentment, then that means that he wasn't born with it. And that gets us to our first point for today. Our first point is contentment isn't something that you're born with. It's something that you have to learn. Paul had to learn contentment, and that tells us that neither Paul nor you or I are born with it. In fact, the opposite. We are born discontent. We are born wanting. Like my daughter came out of the womb crying. Why? Because it was too cold. Like she wanted, she, she needed food, she needed diapers, whatever she wanted, she started crying, and she hasn't stopped since then. Um, and do they ever stop, by the way, parents? Okay, cool. We are wanters by design, or not by design, by nature we are wanters. Paul, or not Paul, uh, David in the famous Psalm 23 says this, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David knew, Paul knew, that there is something in us that just wants things. David is saying, hey, God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides everything I need. I have no need. Yeah, I still got to tell myself, stop wanting. Stop wanting all these things. There's something in us that wants stuff. Do y'all have stores that y'all can't go to because they get you into trouble? Yeah. Like men, it may be like Lowe's or Home Depot. Where like you, you know, walk past the two by fours and you think to yourself, I'm going to build a shed. Uh, and <laughs> six months later, you got like a shoddy shed built in your backyard. Um, or ladies, uh, it might be Kohl's or TJ Maxx or some other godforsaken place. <laughs> I vow never to go into those stores, man. For me, it's Best Buy. I can't go into Best Buy. I used to work there, and I would spend my entire paycheck there. And um, it's funny. Prior to going into Best Buy, I'm you know I'm content as a bird. You know I'm I'm perfectly happy. I go into Best Buy and come out, and all of a sudden my TV isn't good enough. My soundbar doesn't have the clarity that it should. Um, my phone isn't as cool as the new ones. Like I need this. I need that. I need all these things. All of a sudden, I walk in content. I walk out discontent. Right? And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe a new car, maybe a new house, a new spouse, a new kid. <laughs> the first service laughed at that too. I didn't know that was going to be funny. <laughs> you know what might be worse is if one spouse laughs and the other doesn't. <laughs> We're going to start a marriage class on Wednesdays. Um, Maybe kids that behave, maybe a new gadget, more money, whatever it is, there's something inside of me, there's something inside of us 
that just wants more and more and more. And we need to acknowledge that it's there. We don't need to pretend it's not there. We need to acknowledge that our desire and our want and our discontentment is there. Now, here's the thing. How did Paul go from being a guy born discontent and wanting to a guy who learned how to be content in whatever circumstances he lives in? And what I think he did was he allowed the trials and the sufferings and the tribulations of his life to be a teacher for him and to teach him and to mold him to become the man that God wanted him to be, primarily a man of contentment. Right? Like, like we're all going through issues right now. And if you don't allow those issues to mold you into something, then those issues are meaningless. Like your marital problems are meaningless. Your, your uh, problems that you have with kids are meaningless. Your money problems are meaningless unless you allow God to perform a redemptive work through those things to mold you into something different. And the Bible tells us to do this. Um, James 1, verse 2 through 4 says this. It says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let that endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. All of our trials and sufferings are meant to do something, right? And... What Paul did was he didn't allow those sufferings, which by the way, we've talked about. Paul has gone through more sufferings in his life than any of us have. I can just about guarantee that. Your life might be hard. I promise you, Paul's life was harder. And Paul didn't allow all of those sufferings, all those backstabbings, all those beatings, all those imprisonments to allow a victim mindset to build up in his life where life is happening to him. It's like, just woe is me because bad things keep happening to me. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to allow these things to mold me into something. And it gets him to the end of his life where he says, hey, man, I'm content to do whatever. And so let that be an encouragement to you. If you are going through an issue right now in your life, I don't know what it is. This might be the worst week of your life. It's doing something in you. Allow it to do something in you. It's not meaningless. Don't, make it, don't let it make you a victim. Allow God's strength to work through it. How did Paul learn contentment? He allowed the sufferings and the trials of his life to shape and mold him to be more like Christ. And we should do the same. Contentment is not something you're born with. It's something that you learn. Let's keep going. Verse 12 of chapter 4 says this. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So Paul points out here that not only is contentment a skill that he had to learn, but it also has nothing to do with his surroundings. Whether he has food or not, uh, money or not, his joy, peace, and contentment in his life has nothing to do with that. And that leads us to our second point. Our second point is contentment isn't determined by your circumstances. It supersedes them. Contentment isn't determined by your circumstances. It supersedes them. And this goes contrary to what we think, right? Like our, our thought process is, I'm unhappy. I just need this thing over here and then I'll be happy. Like that's what the world tells you, right? It's like, it's like my, uh, my finances aren't doing well. I just need a better job over here. 
I'm unhappy at work, I just need a better job over here. I'm unhappy with my house, I need a house over here, I need a car. Whatever it is, um, the world is pushing you to something else. And let me just pose a thought to you that if you are unhappy where you are now, you probably won't be happy when you get those things that you want. You might be distracted for a minute, just like I was when I was a kid on Christmas Day. You might be distracted for a week or two, but it will eventually come back around and you will be left wanting and not satisfied in anything. So be careful. This is the temptation of the world. They're going to call you a little bit further and a little bit further, a little bit further, just like a um, like dangling a carrot in front of a horse. They're just going to pull you further and further, and it's going to lead you down a path where your marriage is going to get ruined because that discontentment in your mind is telling you your spouse isn't enough. Or it's going to lead you into massive amounts of debt because it's telling you your car isn't enough or your phone isn't enough. Or it's gonna lead you into depression because it's telling you that your friends aren't enough and your life isn't enough. It's over there. But Paul's saying our contentment isn't determined by those things. Now, has anyone thought, how does that work for Paul? Like if you know your Bible well, like Paul was in prison at this moment. Like he was in a small room guarded by a Roman soldier for like 24-7. And in the, the church at Philippi, Philippi is trying to help him out. And he's like, hey, I, I don't need your help. I'm doing great. I've developed a relationship with Jim, the Roman guard. He's doing great. I'm sharing the gospel with him. How is how's Paul doing that? Like, like me, if I wake up and I don't have my coffee that morning, like my day is ruined. Like, how is his faith so strong? And like in the midst of all of his surroundings, he's able to like push past that. He's able to look past that. And I think the answer is in another letter he wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know I have a lot of favorite verses, but this one's like my, my best favorite verse. Verse 17. This is Paul. For our momentary light affliction, which if you know Paul, is anything but momentary and light. For our momentary light affliction is producing in us an absolutely incomparable weight, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's a verse you need to write down, by the way. So here's what the world tells us to do. The world tells us, here's your problems right here. Here's all the things that you are dissatisfied with your life. Your spouse isn't who they, you thought they were going to be. Your kids don't mind you. Your house is falling apart. Your car doesn't start when it's cold in the morning. Your, um, your savings account is dwindling down. You're about to retire and you have no money. All of life's dissatisfactions are right here. And here's what the world says. The world says, just look right here. Look at this shiny new car. Look at the new iPhone. It has a better camera. <laughs> Look at this adopted kid. They mind you. <laughs> that one's been a little too close to home. Okay. 
it's saying, look, go right here. Right here, here's where happiness is. And it's always a little, fur, a little bit farther away. And here's the thing, even if you do land right here, what's gonna happen is the goal's gonna move. And now it's here. And that's why I'm not calling anyone out here. That's why statistically, if you have one divorce, you're probably gonna have multiple divorces. Because this idea of contentment is constantly pushing you on to the next thing. And here's what Paul says. He says, these light and momentary afflictions in our life are temporary and not worth comparing to what awaits us. What awaits us, it's not here. It's over here, far away, far away, eternity away, eternity. To the point that you can't even see it anymore. I like how I've um, compared the kitchen to heaven. <sighs> Paul is saying, you gotta look further. Stop looking here. Stop looking here. Look to eternity. That in the midst of these light and momentary afflictions, there is the eternal weight of glory building up for us where God one day will restore all things and redeem all things and we can live in eternity with Christ. That's what we need to look to. You want contentment? You want peace? Despite any circumstances? Stop looking at your surroundings. Look towards what's ahead. True contentment isn't determined by your circumstances. It supersedes it. Whether you have an abundance or little, whether you're hungry or well-fed. Let's keep going. Philippians uh, chapter four, 4, verse 12. We'll pick up there. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So we're finally at this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, I think that this is one of the most Taken out context verses, maybe in the Bible, because what this verse doesn't mean is that because you have Christ in your life, um, you're going to go conquer life and life is going to be great. What this verse does mean is that because you have the strength of Christ within you, you can endure life even when it's not great. It's actually kind of communicating the opposite here. It's that your life can be in shambles. And you are fine because the strength of Christ is within you and you're leaning on God's strength and not your own. And that leads us to our third and final point, which is contentment isn't found in our own strength. It's found in God's strength. Contentment isn't found in our own strength. It's found in God's strength. And too often we try to build contentment around our own strength and our own accomplishments and our own things. But when you do that, you're building a shabby, unstable home to live in. Like, do y'all remember the, uh, the kids tell the three little pigs? 
right? And so you got three pigs and they each build a home. One builds it out of straw, one builds it out of sticks, and one builds it out of bricks. And then the wolf comes and he blows the first house down because it's made out of straw. Blows the second house down because it's made out of sticks, but can't, he can't blow the third house down because it's made out of bricks. Christ is that brick house. And that's what we're supposed to use to, to fuel and strengthen our contentment. All of our strength and feeble attempts combined are the first two houses. And when life comes through and knocks it down, you're going to be left without a home. Christ is a solid rock, the firm foundation upon which our house can stand strong, come what may. Like your job and your family and your car and your things, all of those things can be gone like that. Just as Job in the Bible. They can all be gone in a second. And like these aren't bad things, they just make shoddy houses. These are good things. They're just not something that you can place your contentment in. Because the moment you place your contentment into something that can leave you, you can now open yourself up to discontentment. But if you want true contentment that will last through everything, it needs to be placed in the strength of Christ who doesn't change, who is eternal. And when all those other things are gone, he is there. And that's how Paul was able to say, hey, you can take all my stuff. I can go hungry at nights, I can sit here in a cell and rot, and I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly happy because my strength isn't found in those things. My strength isn't found in myself. My strength is found in Christ. And man, he goes wherever I go. In the 1700s, there was a man named William Carey, and y'all, some of y'all may know him. He was a missionary. He's actually considered the father of modern missions. And in 1793, he took a missionary trip to India. And for 40 years, uh, he worked with the tribes in India, learning the languages and translating the Bible into their language. About halfway through his time in India, about 20 years in, there was a massive fire that took out his warehouse and his printing area. In that fire, he lost all of his printing equipment and a lot of his manuscripts um, that he's been working so hard to translate these Bibles on. In 20 years, or sorry, in one fire, 20 years of work was gone like that. Now, if you were like me, I would say, well, this isn't the Lord's will. And I get on the ship and I go home. Uh, but that's not what William Carey did. Uh, Shortly after that, he wrote these words to a friend and said, The ground must be labored over again, but we are not discouraged. We have all been supported under the affliction and preserved from discouragement. To me, the consideration of the divine sovereignty and wisdom has been very supporting. And then he quoted Psalm 46 and said, Be still and know that I am God. How did William Carey, in the midst of losing his entire life's work, how was he able to say, it's fine, we'll start again? How was Paul, in the midst of betrayal, uh, poverty, imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks, how was he able to say, I'm good, I'm doing great? 
It's because these guys rested their strength in Christ and not themselves. You want to have a faith like theirs, contentment like theirs? Well, remember that one, contentment isn't something that you're born with. It's something that you have to learn through trials and tribulations. Contentment isn't determined by your circumstances, but it supersedes them. And contentment isn't found in your strength, but in God's. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you um, care for us deeply and you provide for us in more ways than, than we even know. And so, God, I just pray in this moment that we would trust you as our shepherd, knowing that you provide all of our needs and everything that we could want. And so we have no need to want. God, I pray that, that the discontentment that stirs in our heart because of sin and because of sinful nature, God, I just pray that you would bring it to the surface and that we would acknowledge that it's here and repent of that, that we would confess to you that, that we have wandered from you and your provision and tried to find it in things that won't satisfy. And Lord, that we would just rest in you for all of our hope that these afflictions that we feel are light and momentary in the scope of eternity, where we are awaiting glory with you. God, I pray that our strength would be found in you, that whatever may come, we can make do because you are there. We're gonna move into a time of invitation and, and during this time, we just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to whatever God is calling you to do. And it, it may be like you've just realized that you are living a life of discontentment, that you are not happy where God has you right now. And maybe you just need to, to talk with him for a minute. Maybe you just need to um, repent where you can and just reach out to God for contentment. You can pray in your seat. You can come pray up here. Maybe you're a person who says, man, I want to trust and, and put my strength in Christ, but I don't even know who Jesus is. I've never been saved. I've never placed my faith in him. Well, we would love to talk you through that as well. We'd love to share the gospel with you and show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you're a person who you are going through tremendous difficulties right now, but you um, want to surround yourself with God's people. God said in, in Genesis, that it's not good for man to be alone. And maybe you just need to surround yourself with people who can encourage you and help you and push you through. Maybe you wanna join here and call this place your home, this place your family. We'd love to walk you through that as well. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever it may be, this is your time to do it. Can we all stand together? And as we stand, we're gonna sing a song and again, this time is for you, whatever God is calling you to do.